The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 47 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in California, Zandrick Ellison. And Zan, last night was a banner night for you. Giannis Antetokounmpo. NBA 2018-2019 MVP. You love the award show. You watched it. You were riveted by it. You watched it on the couch. How are you feeling today about the NBA award show? Well, I'm sure you're the same. Everyone had a big draft, you know, big parties to watch. You know, did your little ballots. It's like the Oscars. Who's going to win MVP? Who's going to win Rookie of the Year? Is it Luka Doncic or, or Trey Young? Um, I didn't watch it. I watched in and out It was so stupid. I, did, I missed some of the comedy bits. Is there any good comedy gold from Shaq? No, I, I have no idea. I watched zero minutes of it. I, I want to know just real quick, like, did you, were you surprised? We can get into the awards or whatever. We knew who the finalists were, obviously, months ago, it feels like. But were you surprised by this? I mean, we, we've literally gone, what? It's been, it's been over two weeks since a, a basketball has been dribbled. Why, why is the awards ceremony going on right now? And was there any intrigue to watch the show? No. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, people blame the, the timeline. It's like no one cares anymore, blah, blah, blah. I think it might just be so predictable, these awards. You know, I thought Giannis versus James Harden was one of the more interesting MTV MVP debates of my lifetime, but I didn't think the public thought that. I didn't think sports writers thought that. I thought they were going to give it to Giannis in a walk, and they did. And they did, yeah. I mean, they split. I mean, obviously, 78 first place votes for Giannis, 23 for Harden, and then 78 second place votes for Harden, and 23 first place, second for Giannis. So they were. They were one and two on every ballot. Would you have watched if it was like really up in the air? Would you care enough to watch? Probably not. I I just don't think, you know, like the NHL does their awards and they did them a couple days before and they have kind of some human interest stories. And I feel like you don't always know who's going to win. But because the NBA is so prevalent on social media and, and it seems like writers of teams are just constantly talking about what's going on. I just don't I just don't think there was any sort of, you know, I, I don't know that I went into last night. I, I figured Gobert was going to win Defensive Player of the Year. I think we both assumed Luca was going to win Rookie of the Year, although I was pretty stunned that it was as much of a landslide as it was. I did think Trey Young, just because of how he played at the end of the year, I thought maybe, you know, maybe it'd be 70-30 to Luca, not 98-2. to uh, Sixth Man of the Year, I think nobody really cares about that award anymore, but good for Lou Williams. Executive of the Year, I mean, John Horst, that makes perfect sense. Coach of the year, Mike Budenholzer, it, it makes sense. But, like, it just feels like none of these awards are that really exciting to pay attention to. And I don't know if it's because, you know, should they should we let them go through the playoffs? Like, doesn't it seem ridiculous that Masai Ujiri didn't win executive of the year? Well, I don't know. The executive year is such a tough one because it's, you know, it's like a long-term plan. Like, say Kawhi Leonard leaves. Is Masai Ujiri still the executive of the year? I guess they won the title, so yes. But, um I, I don't know. I, I think theoretically, if you were going to redo it, you might take like a week off before the playoffs and make this sort of like the build into the playoffs. Do it kind of like the Heisman voting in football where it's like the weekend right before bowl week starts. 
And then you could have some fun theoretically if, you know, James Harden won MVP over Steph Curry and then they're playing. They used to do that. I mean, I remember Dirk, was he announced as MVP the year that they lost in the first round? I don't know if it was. Yeah, I think that was the year. It was and already then, announced. And, and then Kevin Garnett won MVP the year they lost to the late. They were the one seed and they lost to the Lakers with like Kobe and Carmelone and, and Shaq and Gary Payton. And that was a big deal because everybody thought like Shaq was better than Garnett or whatever. I mean, that that's actually more fun. I don't know why. I mean, I guess TV rights, they kind of want you to be as interested in everything as long as possible. And so this sort of bridges the gap between. Well, it is a good time theoretically because you have in between the draft and free agency. So there is a little lull, but it's just such a regular season centric award that it feels odd after like two months of the playoffs. Right. Like when was the last game of the regular season? It feels like it was the beginning of April, right? And these yeah, awards, it's ridiculous. And the awards were Monday, June 24th. Like why? I mean, I, and you're exactly right. It, it is that because now as we get to the end of the week, like next week, they're going to have special editions of The Jump on ESPN. Woj and Zach Lowe are going to do their little free agency show. Get Up is going to be very NBA free agency centric. So, well, I would say this one contrarian thing. Like I don't agree with the idea. Like it's a regular season award and I think it should be in the sense that if it was not, I think it would skew so heavily to recency bias that like somebody like Kawhi Leonard would win MVP when he pretty much coasted for the majority of the year. So I don't think he deserved MVP, but you see it now where people like overreact to be like, Kawhi Leonard's the best player in the planet. It's like, yeah, he, he did win the playoffs, but I, I don't know if you, the year round performance, you would say he was the best. Right. I, I would, I would say for sure. He, I mean, and, and, and let me see if he even, I mean, I'm sure he got, I have it in front of me. Uh, do you think, so Kawhi Leonard finished uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He finished ninth. For MVP, he got sounds about, that sounds about right. Actually, yeah, he got two third place votes and three fifth place votes. Yeah, because he played sixty games. I mean, he would have been top five otherwise. Also, I don't know if you saw this, but Russell Westbrook tenth in MVP voting. <laughs> Was it like one vote from like the yeah, Oklahoma? He got, he got two two fourth place fourth place votes and two fifth place votes, which is hilarious. I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really have a problem with any of the awards. Like I said, I was a little bit surprised at the Luca Trey Young discrepancy. I don't think the difference is that big. I do think Luca was better. I thought Luca was more deserving, but it also felt like the media was very much Luca centric. You know that I liked James Harden better as most valuable player than Giannis. I totally get it. I have no issues with Giannis winning the award. I thought that he was obviously spectacular. A little bit of the playoffs, I think, made people kind of take the shine off Giannis a little bit. But then beyond that, was there anything else that you looked at? Like I said, it, it seems insane that Masai can. Right. I, I had this. I felt the same way as you. I kind of like reluctantly talked myself into Harden for MVP, but I don't think that was a consensus. And I, I don't blame people for voting for Giannis. Like I debated it heavily. Yeah. So the votes that you would raise your eyebrows at are like the Russell Westbrook votes. I just saw LeBron got a vote. Yeah, one third place vote. That's insane to me. And like, I know your brother is going to tune in and be like, here goes Tyler, like hating on LeBron again. But like, how? How is LeBron getting votes for like most valuable player? He, he literally just blew up a franchise. <laughs> well, and it's also, it's that logic of like, he's still the best player. Or, you know, he, he like grandfathered them into this stuff, which is so stupid because it defeats the whole purpose of the exercise of playing the regular season. If we're just going to net crown LeBron as like the perpetual king of the league. Uh, I actually did have one take on this. The most insane thing I saw the entire night. So Pascal Siakam wins most improved player in like a landslide. But 
Three other players got first place votes for most improved player. D'Angelo Russell got 12. He finished second. That, that makes sense. He took a big jump this year. De'Aaron Fox got one. Makes sense. He took a big jump. And then Derek Rose got a first place vote for most improved player in the NBA. Like that to me is when, I mean, what are we doing? Like, and, and again, I'm not, I, Derek Rose just never really crosses my mind anymore. I, I don't mind the idea. Uh, the logic of it is that, you know, like compared to like De'Aaron Fox, who's like a superstar, who's just like growing into a superstar and naturally improving from year one to year two. I, I think Rose did theoretically like change his game in the sense that he started shooting more threes. He shot 37% from three this year. It just felt kind of fluky to me. I, I don't necessarily think it was like something that we're going to see next year. So, but it's somebody like Brooke Lopez won for that reason a few years ago for like re himself and adding another aspect of his game i think that would have been a kind of interesting vote so i, I don't hate that one as much i i just gotta go on record and say that like and this is where i think in a lot of awards it doesn't really matter but and this is fine if this is what you want to use to to crown Giannis, because obviously he did finish second in defensive player of the year awards as well but like it only feels like offense matt it feels like defense only matters in defensive player of the year because like derrick rose is one of the worst defenders in the nba and i'm not just like specifically talking about him but like d'angelo russell can't guard anybody but it's like because his offensive numbers went up, that's what people seem to figure out and like real, really like hammer home. But I just feel like it's the same thing in baseball we've talked about forever with like golden gold gloves. It's like if you're a good hitter and a decent fielder, you're probably going to win a gold glove because those sort of stats don't really quantify that well on a team to team basis. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting because, like I said, Derek Gross has not improved at all as a defender. But yeah, you're right. He shot 37% from three on like a, just over two a game averaged 18 points a game and the story was good you know people like that so i feel like that's a little bit tough and and the story you say is key because it's like d'angelo russell got deserved or not i say not the lion shared the credit for the net success this year realistically he probably had a similar season to like zach levine who improved and got up to 23 points a game um but the bulls just weren't winning so he never i never heard his name mentioned for him most improved player Right. And I would say, you know, part of it too is like Russell, former number two pick, like comes out of the Lakers. It's not a great situation, ends up playing a lot better. You know, I, I sometimes feel like you shouldn't be able to win most improved player if you are like a super high draft pick like that. But again, I, I do think he, he took a big jump and we've talked about him in the past and how a lot of his kind of jump depends on if you believe that the shooting is real and we're going to find out when somebody pays him a lot of money. Well, here's a big question for you because <laughs> I think Pascal Siakam is sort of like, why the most improved player exists like he's the perfect example of somebody who should win the award should the award exist though is there enough examples like pascal sackham or are we going to end up falling into like the d'angelo russell trap or the guy who went from 10 minutes a game to 20 minutes a game and suddenly his stats are better well let me ask you a question how many people can you name how many nba players can you name that won most improved players and oh gosh a great question (laughs) pascal sackham um I can't honestly, I can't think of a single other one. So here, so this would, this actually like speaks pretty, pretty well to the award and, and who Oladipo, goes maybe? Yeah. So Siakam this year, Oladipo last year took a big jump on a, you know, his third team in a better situation. Giannis the year before makes sense. CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Paul George. And then before that, Ryan Anderson, maybe the last guy who's not really been a difference maker for a while. Kevin Love the year before that. So it's kind of transitioned into those guys like D'Angelo Russell that are going to become like really highly paid guys. Because then before Kevin Love, it was like 
Aaron Brooks, Danny Granger, Hito Turkaloo, Monta Ellis, Boris Diaw, Bobby Simmons. You know, so it, it, it feels like now it's transitioning to guys who are becoming, like coming into their own as stars, if that makes sense, rather than guys who went from almost having no role to being like a pretty good role player. Well, that's why it's such a hard award because it's so murky. It's like, I like awards for that and i don't want to say novelty but awards for things that you wouldn't get an award otherwise so like in the nfl i've been championing this idea that they should give it out like a receiver of the year award because those receivers never win mvp they never win offensive player of the year they haven't in 30 years so it gives them something or like the sixth man of the year the guys winning sixth man of the year are not in contention for anything else so it's like giving them some carrot the, the most improved like you know, Siakam's probably like an all-star level player now. And like you said, Giannis goes on to win MVP. So it's, it is like a murky line and you wonder what the point is. Yeah. And I think, like I said, the only other thing I would say is that I don't necessarily agree with, I I don't think team affiliated reporters should be voting on these awards. I, I don't, I don't really know what the right plan is. I don't know if it's, you know, some combination of like GMs, coaches, and then like national media, but given how much money is tied to winning awards, I don't think that team appointed media should be doing it because I just don't think you just don't see enough of the rest of the league. Like if you're going to say you could say like, you're not allowed to vote for your market. Yeah. Something like that. I think because like, but again, here's the other thing. Like think about it like this. Like, let's say, let's say you cover the Los Angeles Clippers and you watch Trey young go for 50 against you and make, make a buzzer beater or whatever. And so then you're like, Oh, well, Trey young's better because I only saw Trey young once. Cause I didn't travel to Atlanta when I, when that happened. And then I saw Luca and he played poorly. That just shows that you're not going to be able to know enough, you know, and some guys are really good. I don't mean to paint with like a super broad brush. Yeah, but I, I, do. I, I don't, I don't tell them they get out. Cause we're, we're too schmucks talking at home about who deserves the award. That's very true. Um, you you obviously have more credibility than I do as a coach, but I, I saw this argument. Somebody was like, finals MVP stupid. Like Rachel Nichols is voting. Like who the hell is she? I'm like, I don't know. She's a professional who covers the NBA as her job. I mean, I feel like she she knows more than the average person. I mean, who isn't qualified? Who is more qualified than media people? Yeah, it's hard. Well, all I'm saying is I don't know if you're a if you're like the Bucks beat writer, I don't necessarily think you should be voting on national awards. I that's my point. If you're a national writer, like I think we all can agree that like I mean, I'll, I'll throw some guys in there that I think would be very good. But if you're like I think like Kevin O'Connor, I think like Zach Lowe, I think like even Ryan Rosillo, I think is good. Like he's connected. He watches a ton of that. Like guys like that, I think are better off voting than like, you know, I would say somebody like Chris Mills who covers the wizards for like NBC sports, you know, and he's a really good guy. Like he's very good at what he does, but I just don't know. And again, like all I'm saying is it's the same thing with like all NBA teams. Well, I like the idea of making it public. And then also if I don't like to scare people into voting for the consensus pick because I think it's interesting if somebody wants to say Paul George is the MVP because he's the best two-way player. That's fine. There's an argument there. But like the way out of left field ones, you know, like it didn't like Marvin Bagley get votes for like defensive player of the year. There's some that are just like so off. Hold on, I can look, I can look at that. I don't know. There was, I forgot what there was. There was some like the, we we were making fun of some of the picks because they were just so out there. No, he got a third team all NBA vote. Yeah. Okay. That one is the perfect. It was you. That was actually you that voted. (laughs) I mean, clearly the person messed up the ballot or something. Like I would make people like that go in front of like a court of Zach Lowe and Ryan Russell and defend their vote. And if they can't, then then they get shot and thrown in the river, or at least have their vote stripped away. 
All right, enough on the award show. I agree, though. I do think it is it is exactly what the NBA wants in between the draft and in between free agency. It's a little bit of a way to bridge the gap and keep the conversation within your sport. Speaking of which, the draft last Thursday night, so boring. Just it, the first round was so long, but I I'm a little bit bullish that we got some pretty good players out of the draft. Obviously, we really like Zion. Uh, after our kind of draft special, we did see that. New Orleans did end up trading the fourth pick to the Hawks for 10, 17, or I'm sorry, for 8, 17, and then 35. New Orleans takes Jackson Hayes, a guy who I really liked, Nikel Walker-Alexander, a guy who we both really liked, but you have really liked for a long time. And then they took a foreign guy, uh, goes by Didi, apparently, that will kind of be, you know, not in the NBA to begin with. But I thought New Orleans was a clear winner, probably did the best of anyone. But I also thought Atlanta – you know, just uh, to segue into that trades, and I thought Atlanta did pretty well too, getting DeAndre Hunter at four and then Cam Reddish at 10 and then Bruno Fernando at 34, a guy that I think makes sense. Did you feel like there were any other, you know, teams that were just very clear winners on Thursday night? I agree with you most on Atlanta because, you know, as an amateur who's not Tyler Laurie sitting in my couch, it feels so obvious how you build the team. You have one star playmaker, like they have their guy in Trey Young. And then sometimes it's just as simple as like surrounding them with three and D guys. And they added DeAndre Hunter, who does that, and Cam Reddish at number 10, who theoretically does that and potentially does even more than that. I think there's a chance Cam Reddish is like the steal of the draft at 10. And worst case, we said like maybe a Trevor Ariza type, but that's exactly the kind of guy you want surrounding your stars. So I just think their team building makes a lot of sense. I would agree. From a roster construction standpoint, go ahead and drink because I said that. Like, I do agree. There is a very clear vision for what the Hawks are doing. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm really impressed with them. New Orleans, I mean, you get Zion and maybe it cures all sins. I I don't know. I'm not quite as sure if it all makes sense yet because you have, we said before, to build a team around Zion, you want, you know, an up-tempo players, which I think they have. You want length, which I think they have. I still don't think their shooting is nearly good enough. That Nikhil Alexander Walker is good, but I wonder, you know, they got a ton of stuff for Anthony Davis, but I remember people saying that about Orlando Magic trading Dwight Howard away. Like, oh, they won the trade. They got all these stuff. Like, if Lonzo Paul's just not good and Brandon Ingram's not worth his contract and, and, you know, Jackson Hayes is playing 20 minutes a game, like maybe all like these like pennies and dimes don't add up to Anthony Davis. You're absolutely right. That is the one thing with with New Orleans. And I and I do I do feel like you're burying the lead a little bit, not to be like critical of you as my co-host, but I do think like if we're speaking specifically about Thursday night, I think that's a different question than down the road, did they win the trade and win on draft night? I, I think the thing was like they needed a rim protector, they needed somebody else who could be in a two-man game, they needed an athlete, they needed a guard who could make a three, they needed a, a third guard. So I think they did well, all of those things. I, I don't, Whether I or not don't they know. work. <laughs> just to, if you want to talk specifically Thursday between the hours of 2 and 10. I, I don't know if they should have traded down from 4. I mean, I, there was a clear drop-off. But, you know, Hunter and Cam Reddish, two guys that I, I, I just feel more comfortable as projecting them as starters. And I still don't know how many starters New Orleans got. Yeah, I, I think the difference is, like, I feel good about Jackson Hayes, but you're right. There's a lot of projection there. Like, he could never get there. He may never be the same after his ACL injury. We don't know that, right? Nikel Walker-Alexander, like, I feel really good about him. No, I agree, actually. I, I like him more than, you know, if we, if we transition to, like, losers, question marks. I think he's more of a safe bet than Kobe White, who went number seven. I just think his he's just a clear, like, he's going to shoot well. He's long enough to defend. 
ones or twos. I, I just have a hard time seeing um, him failing. So I would say one more winner real quick. I do think Memphis also did well. They moved up. They get Brandon Clark at 21. He seems like a very good fit next to Jaron Jackson Jr. as kind of a foreman who can also cover up some mistakes from John Morant and their young guards. I think that Memphis did well. I think Boston did well. They just keep ripping the Sixers off. Like they just continually rip the Sixers off. It's it's amazing. It's like you would think at some point someone in the Sixers front office would be like when the phone rings and it's Danny Ainge, just don't answer it. Just stop answering the phone. But they end up getting 24, or it ends up being 20, 24 and 33. Then they move up to 22, take Grant Williams. I didn't love that. I did love Carson Edwards at 33. I also really like Romeo Langford at 14. I think that's a pretty, I wouldn't say it's low risk, high reward. I think it's like medium risk, high reward. But I thought Boston did okay. Uh, those, were the, those were the four teams that I circled that I thought had like just the best in terms of like how they improved their teams. I thought they had good nights. I think there was one very clear loser on draft night though, Zan. I think there was one team that like I watched them and I was like, what the hell are you doing? Well, it's interesting because I there was one public team like that, but I don't agree with it. So let's hear your pick for the loser of the draft night. I thought I thought Phoenix very clearly just it just made no sense to me what they were doing. Like I don't like Jarrett Culver. We've been over this before. So they trade with but they trade with Minnesota. Minnesota goes from eleven to six. They take Culver. We both talked about how everyone's kind of lauding Minnesota. I don't really love that either, but they clearly weren't going to pay Dario Saric, so they deal Saric and the 11th pick to move up to six. Phoenix, I don't understand. Like, you're still technically rebuilding. Why would you take on a guy at a $3.5 million cap hit and then have to decide next year if you're going to pay him, not knowing if he really fits? And then on top of that, at 11, you take the oldest guy in the draft. Who's on Cam, Cam Johnson, who's, who's older than Devin Booker. I, I like Cam Johnson, too. Like, I think Cam Johnson's going to be a good NBA player, but it's like... Well, that, that's why I don't mind it. Actually, I actually dislike the Minnesota side of that trade. They trade up to six. In theory, like, maybe there's an elite talent. I think they were eyeing Darius Garland, really, who went five. And then they get Jarrett Culver, who we talk about people seem to really like. I don't get it. You don't get it. He doesn't shoot well enough, to, certainly not to play with Andrew Wiggins. I don't understand what Minnesota, I think they had such an opportunity, such a talented young team. And to clog the court, I mean, like, Carl Anthony Towns is going to have to shoot like 50% from three now to make up for the spacing issues. I did like, though, one thing I did like about Minnesota, my guy Nas Reed, who I didn't really get to talk about last week at all, doesn't get drafted and then goes right away on a two-way deal to Minnesota in the middle of nowhere, which is great. He can really stretch the floor, make above the break threes. He and Carl Towns know each other. Like, I actually thought that was a pretty interesting move for them. But I agree with you. Like, I don't really like the Culver thing either. But I do like the value add in moving up. Well, I, I, can I defend Phoenix? Because I think coming into this year, Phoenix has a lot of foundational talent. You know, we talk about Trey Young as their superstar in Atlanta. Surround him with three three guys. Does Phoenix have a lot of foundational talent? Yes. I mean, yes, they do. I mean, Devin Booker scores like twenty five points a game. He's twenty two. Right, he's, he he's young. And, and DeAndre Ayton is very. DeAndre Ayton had like an incredible year on paper that no one cares about because he's not Luka Doncic. And those because are, those are your stars. Stinks. And because those are your stars. Stinks. But those are their stars, and you need a, a point guard, a real point guard. And they ended up taking um, what's his name? Your buddy from Virginia. Ty Jerome, he'll, he'll, be there. he'll be there. Yeah, he'll probably be their third guard would be my guess. He'll be a backup point guard. He may end up starting this year, but. But it kind of makes sense because they have him and um, Tyler Johnson as the sort of big point guards and they wanted to add a stretch four next to Aiton. And I think Dario Sarge can play that role. I think Cam Johnson can play that role. When we talk about roster construction, I think it kind of makes sense. I, I don't think there's like, it's not like illogical to me. Here's the problem. This is what I think with Phoenix. 
And this is where I think bad teams always stay bad. And some of this could be Robert Sarver. I have no idea. But they didn't scout that much during the year. Sam Vecini from The Athletic reported that. It, it was, like, very much out there. But you just – all of a sudden you take these older guys and then you just accelerate your – you know, all of a sudden it's like, all right, we're done rebuilding. We're going to try to compete. But, like, this team is a 30-win team. So then you lose your opportunity to get other premium pieces and now you have to pay a guy like Dario Sarge because you're like, well, we won 30 games with him this year. Maybe we'll win 36 next year. Like – it just doesn't make sense for me in terms of like a long-term plan. So then after the draft, right, they dealt TJ Warren to open up cap space. And I thought that was an okay deal. I think TJ Warren's a little bit better than people think, but obviously his contract number kind of hurts, but I think he's going to be pretty good in Indy. But like, I just don't understand why you would pick a guy like Dario Saric and an older guy like Cam Johnson, an older guy like Ty Jerome, and then be like, all right, we're going to run this, this unit on the floor and like this is going to be our team like it doesn't really appear in unless Monty Williams unless Monty Williams is awesome I guess but you guys have a lot of projection left I think Phoenix and I give them credit for this I think they they were kind of tired and burnt by the constant rebuild and going so young and I think the guy that I loved a few drafts ago Josh Jackson came in you know after the freshman year on paper talented seems like a knucklehead right to put it mildly and I think they're like, look, we're, we're tired of these immature guys that kind of poisoning the locker room. We're going to have to go a little older. Cam Johnson, who's 23 now, you say, oh, that's a whole huge negative. But you're getting him on a rookie deal from 23 to age 27. That's going to be a bargain for th- four years. And then you might not have to resign him if you don't want. I, I don't mind the idea of like paying guys like that rookie deals as opposed to like somebody like Zach Levine, who, who turned out to be a good player. But you know, he didn't get paid until he was good. You know, like you have three years where he's a bad player and then you finally pay him $20 million by the time he gets good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't agree. I understand where you're coming from. I just, I, I think there's a real fundamental issue with what Phoenix thinks they're doing with their roster. And again, when they're, when they're I, I think they think they're good. I think they think they're going to be the Sacramento Kings and take a step up into the 35 win range. Right. But the issue with that is that, then all of a sudden you have to pay everybody and then Aiden comes up for an extension. And then like, I mean, if Cam Johnson's good, you're going to, you're going to end up paying a 28 year old guy, $40 million or whatever, eight seventy million $70 the next time around. Like, and you better hope that you're the bucks with Malcolm Brogdon or Chris Middleton and not, you know, I don't even know the wizards with Kelly Oubre, if you will, something like that. And that's where I just think that Phoenix, I thought it was a, I thought it was a rather head-scratching draft, if you will. I did think they did a good job getting Aaron Baines. They may buy him out, but I think actually Baines is a pretty capable backup center for a guy like Aiton. So, you know, just kind of absorbing Baines in their cap space I thought was good. I did think given the 32nd pickup with TJ Warren was pretty pricey because I think TJ Warren's yeah. a pretty good player. He had a, he had a good year, and he shot much better than usual. And he's not – his contract's not bad. I think it's like $12 million or $10 million. No, it's not, it's not terrible. If he's instant offense, I've always thought he was more of like a bench scorer guy, but I don't know if he can carry a unit. He's never – you know, sometimes we hear he's not really in shape. Like, he doesn't like to pass. He doesn't play defense, doesn't pass. I don't like him either, but as a backup. Yeah, I think it's okay. And for a team like Indiana, who's very clearly trying to push the needle the other way and, and really kind of flip the switch, and, and I'm going to use as many cliches as possible, Zane, if you couldn't tell, but – I think the guy like TJ Warren makes sense to try and go for it. You know, and then they draft the guy Goga Baditsi, who may not actually come over this year, which is fine because they still have Miles Turner and, you know, Sabonis. So I think the Pacers. Well, you know, I think can I ask okay. you one thing? The one, the most interesting decision almost, because the first three picks were kind of obvious. Um, and then the fourth was, you know, I think it made sense on both sides the trade down, trade up. I, I kind of like the Atlanta side again. And then 
at five, I thought was most interesting because Cleveland's on the clock. They're going to be in this deep rebuild with their new college coach. And they, last year they picked Colin Sexton as like their franchise guard. And, you know, he is statistically, you know, raw stats played well and shot well and scored advanced stats were like a nightmare. He was like one of the worst players in the league as a lot of rookies are. And then what do you do? You go and on their board, presumably best player available is another scoring guard in Darius Garland. Or do you go with a fit? I mean, how do you do? They end up going Garland. Do you think that was the right move? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that like Beeline is, you know, he, he loves shooting. He loves playmaking, uh, loves creativity. I think it's pretty clear that this is a little bit more indicative of like maybe Beeline doesn't feel like Colin Sexton is his guy. So he wants to get his guy in there. Now, can you play them both together? We're going to see it. They're going to be horrendous defensively. <laughs> that That's why I would criticize it. Because I, I agree. Like, I don't like Colin Sexton. I just don't buy him as a starting point guard. So I would try to upgrade to Darius Garland. But it's just like, I wish that came in concert with a trade to trade Colin Sexton now. Because the two of them on the court together is going to be ugly defensively. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like amazing about that pick. I do think Garland, obviously, his upside is tremendous for a guy like Beeline. Although they did a really good I, – I think the Cavs draft was super interesting, and it's, it's funny to say this. I don't think Kevin Porter is going to ultimately work out in Cleveland, but I think the risk was totally worth it. My, my problem is I don't think Beeline has ever had to coach a kid like Kevin Porter. And, and on top of having to coach a bunch of other personalities that you didn't get to handpick, I think it's going to be really hard for him. But, like, I could see Porter and Garland being an awesome backcourt in four years if it works out. I just don't necessarily believe in it being able to work out from both the personality fit and then, obviously, all the other things you have to do as John Beeline to try to get guys to understand what it is you're trying to do. You know, they drafted Dylan Windler, which seems like a very perfect Beeline fit, just like a knockdown shooter, a guy who can do a little bit of everything. But I would agree with you. It, it seems like the Cavs are going to be bad for, like, three years now because they're going to have to kind of get more guys like Beeline wants in there and funnel out the rest of the guys that don't make any sense. So I would agree. I think Colin Sexton's probably out the door. But I think that's why they did it. I think he wanted more shooting. He wanted more. The only thing I would criticize is if that's the plan, which I think is a good plan, do it quickly. Like Collins, it's like a Michael Carter-Williams situation where they they put up their stats as freshmen, as rookies, and that's probably the best statistically they're going to be. So dump them while the value is still there. And, and, but, but maybe there is some, like I've, I've said, and you know, in the past we've talked about this, like maybe Colin Sexton's ultimate role is like he, he needs to find out and be Lou Williams. And, and it took Lou a while. Like he had a decent role with the Sixers. He was never a starter, and he's caught on with a bunch of different teams. You know, great part of his career in the, with the Clippers, also played really well for Toronto, played well with the Hawks. Like, you know, maybe that's who Colin Sexton ends up being, and teams just grab a guy that, that they need to score off the bench, and that ends up being Sexton, and it's just not with Cleveland. And that's okay for a guy like Colin Sexton. I no, I agree. I think that is the right role for him, and I think he could be fine in that role. It's just when you're building a team, you wouldn't start with the scoring point guard and then the backup scoring point guard. Um, but whatever. One, one other team I, I thought just had a really weird draft, and, and I don't personally like it. I thought the 76ers just – I didn't get it. I mean, they, they clearly wanted Matisse Tibble so bad. It was like the worst kept secret in the draft. Boston trades up to 20. They give him 24 and 33. Boston ends up getting two good players. Like I said, Carson Edwards would have made perfect sense for Philly. Instead, they draft a 3 and D guy who hasn't played man-to-man D in two years. He was just an average man-to-man defender his first years at Washington. And he shot 30% from three last year. Sixers need floor spacers. Then they trade all their second-round picks pretty much and end up with Mariel Sheuk, who I actually do like. A guy that made a ton of threes last year at Iowa State, an older guy who can probably come play right away. But for the Sixers with a really tight roster and a very little cap space, it felt very odd for them to 
punt on a bunch of picks that they could have maybe gotten three to four guys to fill in the gaps. But Tibble was clearly their guy, and they went and got him. I just didn't really get it. Then they, no, I they, agree because I, I I don't know. I agree with you in the doubting his defense. He's such touted as like this phenomenal like Andre Roberson defender. He's probably an amazing help defender. That'll be what he is in the NBA. But I think it's going to be interesting to see because defensive, as we always talk about, is so hard to predict and really understand. The defensive stats aren't great. So you take a guy like Tibble or whatever his name is, and his defense stats, like in terms of steals and blocks, are off the charts. Um, and he's playing in the zone. And then you have a guy like DeAndre Hunter, who I test as a good defender. His stats are not close to that. So which guy sort of excels, and what does that say in the future about how to project defense? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I thought that was a I thought that was just a really weird draft. Uh the other, I don't know, any other Knicks didn't really do anything crazy. Took RJ Barrett, uh pretty clear that he's gonna be the only guy in New York, I think. I don't know, maybe Kevin Durant. We can talk about that in a minute, but uh I don't know. That that didn't really surprise me. Nasir Little, free flow. I like Nasir Little. I like him. I still like him. And you know, the world's turned on him. I think it was still a great value pick. The other interesting guy who got a lot of buzz was Bull Bull. Didn't surprise me that he slips. Um, I guess I would ask you about that. I heard something interesting that Jonathan Gavoni said, the Draft Express ESPN analyst, about why he fell. And there's this issue about his health. There's this issue about his personality. How much does he love the game? And the idea was that GMs just didn't want to do that to their coaching staff, being like, take a guy who's going to require so much attention and babysitting, essentially. Do you buy that? Like, would you, as a coach, an assistant coach, the sort of problem child, talented guy, does it suck away the life from you? Or is it, was it fun in a way? I don't know. At 45, you know, not really, because you just don't have to deal with him if you don't want to, because he's not, you, you don't have a ton of guaranteed money in his pocket. But I don't know. I mean, I've heard the things with Bull Bull. He just seems more immature. And I think with the medicals, it makes it really hard to take that leap. Uh, 45, Denver goes up and gets him. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, no harm, no foul. I felt bad for the kid, for sure. And he had a good attitude about it, considering how devastating of a, of a fall that must have been. He, he had a big fall. Obviously, Jalen LeCue didn't get drafted, but then he ended up getting two guaranteed years from Phoenix on a four-year deal. So pretty great situation for him. Not, like I said, Nas Reed, two-way deal right away with Minnesota. Good situation for him. He got to actually pick his spot. It sounds like there were a couple teams that would have drafted him, and you know he kind of was not super open to it, which is an interesting process both from his agent and the teams. So you know, I, I think like some interesting stuff on draft night. The other one that I thought was really weird, I thought Jordan Poole was a, a pretty big reach in the first the kid round. from Michigan, like, kind of I, a shooter. I like him. I think he's good. And, and obviously the shooting is what really attracted Golden State. But I felt like they were better players, like, for what they need. Like, a Kelton Johnson made sense for the Spurs, but, like, he's an, a little bit of a better defender. He's a little bit of a better decision maker. And it felt like Golden State just, like, swung for the fences on upside. Good for them, I guess, you know? But, like, why not just draft Kevin Porter if you're going to do that? And I would imagine it's because they don't want him in California. But it felt like Jordan Poole, like, that just didn't really make a lot of sense at all to me. I just yeah. Well, when when you get to Jordan Poole and your second Nazarene mention, I think it's time to move on. Let let's get. Do we? <laughs> you have anything else? Any other D leaguers we got to talk about? I got two more. Your guy, your guys in Orlando. Like we should start betting. Like whoever has a super long wingspan, we just need to bet that they're going to get taken by Orlando. Like they draft Chuma Okiki at sixteen. We both really like Chuma Okiki, but like coming off an ACL injury and he goes way. I thought he was like the twenty fifth pick, even if he stayed healthy. I thought that was where he would have been. 
Well, I think these people listen to our podcast. I think you're not giving us enough credit. <laughs> and Orlando just jumps up and gets. And the other one, I, I, I want to bitch about the Wizards for a second, if that's okay. They take Rui at nine. I don't really understand it. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Leon's. Well, do, <laughs> do you know uh, I have Babblefish, you know, the translator open? Um, Rui Hachimura in Japanese, you know what it means in English? Jeff Green. That's how it translates. <laughs> that might be your best joke ever. I liked your Jabari Parker post injury take, uh, but I think they drafted him. I'm going to say something real wild here. I think they drafted him partially because he's a big, big deal in Japan. Obviously, there's a very large Asian population in D.C. I think Leonsis knows people are really frustrated with him. And I think like having Rui on the team is going to be good for ticket sales. Despite the fact that <laughs> I don't know. That's a stretch. They, got 20, they had 21 separate Japanese media outlet, outlets reach out to them the night of the draft after they picked him. I mean, it's like he was on the front page of the biggest newspaper in Japan. Like I'm telling you, Zan, the Wizards, terrible process. They, they wanted a guy that obviously was a couple years away, and certainly Rui, there's a lot of projection left given that he hasn't played basketball that long, but it just makes no sense. I totally agree with you. It's Jeff Green. Maybe he's good in three or four years, but like – you're bringing – I think they wanted a high-character guy. I think the same thing with them taking Admiral Schofield in the second round. But Well, it, that is – it's another interesting thing because Rui Hachimura, compare him to a guy like Cam Reddish, let's say. And, you know, you could look at the stat page. I've seen the stat. You know, Cam Reddish, 33% from three. He's not a good shooter. Rui Hachimura, 42% from three. He's a much better shooter. Rui shot 1-3 a game, 1.0. Yeah, it's not – and his jump shot form changes all the time. It's not the same. He's he's far away. He he and Cam Reddish are both projects, but Rui's just two years older. Yeah, and so that's the only the only reason I, I like the pick would be if because he came over from Japan, he's like legit Japanese guy. You know, sometimes they're not. Um, and I agree. I think it's a great story. I mean, he's like literally like born and raised in Japan. He's a Japanese player. Um. So you could argue that it's taking it's going to take somebody like that time to adjust to the American game, American culture. He's slowly expanding his range. So if it's just like he's a delayed growth spurt as a basketball player, then it makes sense. But if he is the player we saw at Gonzaga, who's just like a mid-range player, it's, he is Jeff Green. It's not going to work. Yeah, and he's not that type of passer. So I thought that was disappointing. Uh, and other than that, like I said, I, I thought it was an interesting draft. I think it's way too long, I think. You know, yeah, just, they, they have to separate it. I would do the lottery one day and then the rest of round one or round two. It's just way too late at the, night. Too. And, the, and the one other the one other like minor complaint I have before we get to free agency, there are so many trades and obviously like the days are very, you know, like the, when you can consummate trades and everything is, is specific to the NBA calendar. But like by the end of the draft, Zan, like the announcers didn't even know who owned what picks. So I think they need to do a better job of just saying like, hey, like, this pick belongs to someone else, not like this pick has been proposed. Like, I don't care about the hats and everything. Like, they sell the hats. It's totally whatever. It's always funny to watch guys in hats like 20 years later and be like, oh, yeah, they actually got picked by this team. But I think the NBA and ESPN specifically needs to do a better job of saying, like, such and such a team owns this pick. Because, like, second rounders and late first rounders change hands like crazy. And it was very hard to follow, I thought, after, like, pick 25 on. And, you know, maybe I'm just- Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I actually disagree with the hat thing. I, I think they, the NBA could be like, look, let's just make this easy to understand. <laughs> Even if the trade hasn't been finalized or completed or this pick hasn't been sent there, just like have the guy wear the jersey of the team he's going to or whatever. That seems obvious to me, but they still fight against that. 
Prepare to get stunned. The Steve Austin Show is back and better than ever. And I've been kicking his ass, kicked out of the pile driver. You, it's time to go home. With new exciting episodes featuring tales from his new life, unbelievable past interviews, and talks to pro wrestling pals. You name it, Steve's on it. You're a hell of a damn wrestler. Download new episodes of The Steve Austin Show every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. All right, now, free agency. You've been wanting to talk about free agency for three months, so I'm really excited for what you've, what you've got going right now. Because free agency moratorium starts, I believe, uh, we said July th- or Jan- June 30th. And then July first at midnight, uh, guys can officially sign. So we will. Well, not- everyone's everyone's excited about free agency. Remember Anthony Davis drama was because he was a free agent in two years, or whatever. I mean, like people are so into looking ahead at free agency. It's become for casual fans. I think free agency is more exciting than the games. Is it? It's not more exciting. It's not more exciting than the games. It's somewhat exciting though. I, I, I guarantee agree. you, there are a lot of people who followed the NBA free agency who do not watch NBA basketball. Why, what's the point of doing that? Why would you follow NBA free agency if you don't watch games? Well, maybe you watch the playoffs, but you're not watching like the game of the week on, on ABC or whatever. I think there's a lot of people like that. It's just sort of the, the soap opera of it all. Here's one thing I'll say. It, it represents, I think, hope for a lot of fan bases. Does that make sense? Like if you're the Knicks, now you hate free agency, obviously, if you're, if you're a Knicks fan. But if you're like a Nets fan or you're a Clippers fan or you're – you know, I would say like a Mavericks fan, you are looking at free agency like, hey, we can get a guy and we can compete for a title. And, you know, I remember the, the summer of 2016 as a Wizards fan being like, we're getting Kevin Durant, even though for like a month beforehand, it was like there was zero chance it was happening. But I remember that. And yeah, and- no, I well, I think it's human nature too. people want to look forward like the, you know, the finals just happened or the draft just happened. And then, you know, Jonathan Gavoni publishes his 2020 mock draft. You know, like everyone wants to look ahead. It's it's so wild. That's why I think like draft grades are hard to do too because you don't know what situations guys are in. So it's it's hard to say. I think it's just like, do you think this team got the best player they could possibly get? And the same thing with free agency because there's going to be some deals that are not going to make sense to us at the time, and we're going to have to see how general managers envision using certain guys. You know. So let's run through it. And it's a great free agent class. That's the other reason it would be interesting. So I want to let's talk about the top guys. I'm just going based on CBSSports.com's ranking. We're not going to debate, you know, which guy is slightly better than the other. But give me the best landing spot or where you would go if you were there, Rich Paul. You were there, Rich Kleiman and Durant here. If you were like the guy behind the guy pulling the puppet strings, where would you tell him to go? And because of Kevin Durant's injury, I think the top free agent has become Kawhi Leonard, 27 years old. I think the teams that you hear about are the Clippers. And the Raptors, or is it one of them or somewhere else? Where do you send your guy? I would stay in Toronto. I, I really would. If I was him and it's like, hey, we want to build our legacy, they may never compete at the same level again, but the East is decidedly easier. You know, financial reasons aside, they can obviously offer you the most money. I don't want to get into, you know, like I think no state income tax and obviously Canadian tax and stuff is a, is a somewhat big deal, but neither you or I is a CBA expert, if you will, or a tax lawyer. So I would say, Zan, that I'm going to make my kind of determinations without considering that if, if that's all right with you. Yeah. I mean, in California, state tax is pretty it's, high. So, right. Just like if you should, I mean, if that was the case, you would go to Dallas or you would go to like the heat, you know, you'd go to a Florida team. So I think Toronto is the best basketball fit for him for sure. The Clippers obviously would be really exciting in LA, but I would stay and take the most money and, and kind of build something in an area where you have a real chance to become a legend. Whereas in LA, like you're still probably second fiddle to LeBron, despite Absolutely. how good you were this year. 
Absolutely. And I agree with you because I think Kawhi Leonard going to the Clippers, if they don't have anyone else, then he becomes, you know, like a Damian Lillard, you know, a great player carrying his team to the playoffs in round two or something like I think staying in Toronto, regardless of the money, they're going to have a shot to win the title again next year. And then after that, Kyle Lowry comes off the books. Marcus All comes off the books. You still have Masai Ujiri who's sticking around. You still have Nick Nurse. You still have Pascal Siakam. They, they should be relatively flexible in two years. I would. Yeah, guess. that's what I mean. You have one more run with this sort of old group now, and then you trust Masai to kind of readjust and keep you going. Yeah, I, and I and I don't know. I know that now Toronto is. I don't know if they're the betting favorite. They are very close with the Clippers. I know the Lakers feel like they have a good shot. I also heard like Philly might get a meeting, but that doesn't seem realistic at all. So I would I mean, imagine that, that fit kind of makes sense. But I, and the other thing I would just say about if I was Kawhi Leonard's, you know, go-to guy, there's a lot of talk about the one plus one for him, short-term deal. Like just take the money, man. Take the max. You're 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 always hurt. You know he. He has never played 75 games in a season. And you're not the type of guy, no matter what Uncle Dennis thinks, like you're not the type of guy that's getting 30 million in endorsements. There's like three dudes in the NBA that do that. He's never going to be one of them. Well, yeah, I agree. I agree. So stay in Toronto. Um, moving on to number two, they, they list Kevin Durant as the second best, despite probably missing next year. He's 30 years old also. But a very interesting decision. So you're Rich Kleiman. Is that his name? Rich Kleiman? Rich Kleiman. Yeah. Klein, whatever. K-L-I-E-M-A-N. By the way, if you ever do become one of these guys, the guy behind the guy, don't go on the podcast with him and chime in annoying <laughs> takes every five minutes like he does with Bill Simmons' podcast. That's whatever was the first one when he didn't have a microphone. <laughs> like every time he'd say something because he couldn't freaking help himself, they had to like shuffle uh, Tate Frazier's mic over to him. And it's like, come on, man. Yeah, like, just- I want to say to Rich Paul and, and Climate, if you're the guy behind the guy, like learn to hide behind the guy. Like, don't, I don't want to know your name. I don't want to know your face. I would say this there, the difference between Rich Paul and Rich Kleiman is, is one thing. And we both know what it is. I think they're both equally detrimental to the NBA, like in terms of how they handle their business. But I think Rich Kleiman gets away from it. Cause it's like, Oh, he's Kevin. He's Kevin Durant's business partner, not his agent. And I think they do a good job of that. Plus there's probably a racial element I would guess, but we're not going to get you started on that. <laughs> okay. Kevin Durant. You take over for Rich Kleiman. Where do you want him to be next year? His thing is so weird. I have no idea what he's going to do. I really don't. I don't think New Jersey makes sense. I, you know, maybe one year where he can kind of, like one year without him playing with Kyrie, maybe that delays the inevitable of the two of them hating each other. But I, I don't think New Jersey makes sense. Maybe he looks at it and he's like, hey, if I go to New Jersey in a year, they're definitely ready to compete. It feels like he won't go to the Knicks because like they're definitely not ready in a year. But I do think the Knicks still make the most logistical sense, Zan, because just go to the Knicks and tell them, like, keep your cap space open. And then next year, go sign somebody to play with KD. Now, I don't know who's out there. Like off the top of my head, I don't really know the 2021 free agency class or 2020 free agency class, but... If that's the case, I do think that's better for Durant. You know, sit this whole year, see if R.J. Barrett's the guy, you have him on a young deal, then pair him and go with, like, I don't even know. I mean... Well, you're kind of touching on what I would do, and it's a little unconventional. Because I think you're... No, I think you're right in the sense that it's... it's You're projecting ahead if you're Kevin Durant. who's You're not playing next year. Who's going to be good in two years? So is RJ Barrett, are you going to bet on him being the guy for two years from now? Are you Kyrie Irving? Are you betting on him being fitting in well in Brooklyn and being healthy in two years? I don't know. 
So if I was Kevin Durant, I would advise, or his advisor, I would say, look, opt in to your $31 million Golden State deal, the last year of that deal, and sit out the year, and then make, and then make this decision next year. Like, what's the rush? He, he's not doing that, and I'll tell you why. If he's not the same guy, he's going to cost himself so much money. But do you think he's going to have to like what, like work out for teams to get the max next? No, year? that's that's definitely true. That's definitely true. But the, right now, there's more cap space than there are teams to begin with. So somebody's going to give him. He may still not do that, Zane. He may still take like a one plus one deal. You know, I think he can get the max in two years or whatever next year, next summer, if he sits out this year. So I would I would sit out this year and to collect your money, you can still make thirty one million dollars, and then and then decide are the Knicks ready. You know, or you know, or Brooklyn ready, or it could be like another team emerge. Like, what if New Orleans is is really ready and they're one player away, or you know, or whatever the, the Atlanta or the Clippers or whatever it is. Like, you just open up your options. I think more if you wait. I mean, because next year's next year's free agent class is very bad. I mean, it's like Davis is obviously not going to be a free agent. He's going to resign in L.A. But then it's like DeRozan, Draymond Green, Ben Simmons is not going to be a free agent. Andre Drummond, Siakam's not going to be a free agent. Jamal Murray's not going to be a free agent. So, like, it's bad next year, for sure. And I, I just think the only downside to that would be if there's, like, a setback in his rehab or something. But, I mean, that's – I think the money's still out there for him. I think he's going to get a max whenever he wants to sign a max. Right. I, I do feel like he's going to take it this year, to be honest. But I think he will, too, but – I, I wouldn't advise against it. It's kind of a dick move to Golden State, but I mean, they kind of trotted you out there to get your Achilles torn. So I don't mind taking $30 million from them. You you uh, live in Los Angeles, California. Did you happen to see or hear Andre Iguodala's interview with the Breakfast no. Club today where he what said that he, a lot of things. Uh, he did say Mark Jackson was getting blackballed in the NBA in terms of coaching, which I thought was interesting. But for what? Just being a terrible coach? That's just that's, being like they're a bad, holding yeah. that against him. Well, he said also like the whole like Mark Jackson was anti-gay and the head of Warriors oh, okay. is gay. But then also like Andre Iguodala has a quote on record about how he didn't want his daughter to play basketball because he was worried she might become a lesbian. So Iggy maybe <laughs> not as forward thinking to begin with. But he did say my point was they were talking about KD and he was saying that you know it's everybody's fault. Like it's the player's fault. It's like the training staff's fault. It's the media's fault. Cause everyone's whispering like, Hey, when are you coming back? And he managed, I don't know if he meant to say this or he let this slip, but he said last year that his leg was at, he had a fracture in his leg, but it actually was like reported to him as a bone bruise. So he was mad at the warriors doctors. Now they changed over medical staffs, but like, it's kind of an interesting thing to have on the record, you know, a week before. No, I agree. If I was Duran, I would be inclined to stay with golden state, but the, Trust if you don't trust the medical staff, then then it's scary. I don't, I don't yeah. blame them. All right, let's move next. On. They say Kyrie Irving, twenty-seven year old superstar, um, flat earther. You know the professor, whatever he is. He's going the to folks, Brooklyn. We the don't philosopher need a, star. You we do not need to waste. We do not need to waste. I, 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 I think, think he should. should. I think I he think should. I, I think he, I think Boston like kind of takes him for granted in a way, to be honest. I, I think Boston fans think they're a lot the team's a lot better than they were without Kyrie Irving. I think they they're holding their hat on this one playoff run where they almost beat a terrible Cavs team. And so if I was Kyrie Irving, I'd say like, good luck with that. Let's see if you can repeat that. Yeah, I think Brooklyn makes sense for him. Uh I don't really like Kyrie Irving. He's super talented, but everywhere he goes, you know, it's like if you have a bunch of bad roommates in your life, you're probably the bad roommate. Like that's probably Kyrie. So, but Brooklyn's fine. That makes sense. It'll be fun. He can be a hipster and live in like, you know, 
Williamsburg or whatever and ask people what they think about government and it'll be great. But I don't really, I just like Kyrie Irving. He's like, I'm just so over Kyrie Irving. He's okay, so fine. Crazy. Let's move on. Like, the next guy is this Kyrie type. They say fourth best free agent on CBS, Campbell Walker, 29 years old. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Did you see today, Mark, or uh, Wednesday, Mark Stein, Tuesday, Mark Stein reported that Boston was a, you know, an interesting suitor for Kemba. I think Kemba needs to leave Charlotte. I would have no ill will to him if he decided to take $221 million. I totally get it. That's like your kids' kids don't ever have to work, but, or, or, you know, 20 generations in your family if you do the right thing. I would love for Kemba Walker to go to a good team where people can see, like, oh man, Kemba Walker is like actually a good NBA player. I don't think the fit is the Lakers. I definitely don't think the fit is the Knicks. If him and Kevin Durant maybe were to conspire to both join, I could see it, I guess, but. I think Boston makes perfect sense. I think Boston's like a really good fit. Um, Boston, yeah. I mean, you say he's sort of, they've been getting away with this like Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, super scoring guard, and he fits into that as well as Irving, I guess. I mean, he's a similar player. Yeah, and he's like a better locker room guy than Kyrie. He's a better spot-up shooter than he gets credit for. He's not a, I mean, he's obviously not a good defender, but he's not like a... He's not like a terrible defender. You know what I mean? Like, he's just not awful. Yeah. I, I just don't know if it. He, I think he's going to end up in Charlotte. I think he's going to end up resigning Charlotte, to be honest, well, if we're predicting. Yeah. I would advise against both. Like, I get the idea of being loyal to Charlotte. It's not even being loyal, being loyal to yourself. It's, it, I think most of these stars underrate the value of a loyal fan base to you. Like, you know, like I, I used the example of like Vince Carter or Dwight Howard, or these young superstars who went off chasing something and never got back their luster. And there's no fan base that really loves them anymore. Um, Kemba has that. I just think, as you say, and you know, like maxing out Kemba Walker, Supermax, whatever, that team is just not going anywhere. They're just stuck in the mud. And, and like, if you're Charlotte, like, you don't have a choice. This is the same thing. This is what I argued before with John Wall. And like, Wall was way better the year that he was third-team NBA than Kemba was this year. Like, that team, the Wizards team, actually could do some damage. But it's like, as an owner, as a coach, like, when you have a player and the city loves them and they do all these this free agency – or, I'm sorry, they do all this, like, charity work and they literally show up every day and they don't complain and the teammates love them, like, you have – like, you're just – it sucks, man. It's just it's, – it's bad. It's like – and then you get crit- criticized of your Boston and you don't extend Isaiah Thomas and that hurts you later down the road. So it's like, if you're Charlotte, you got to offer him $200 million. And you just, I think they're just crossing. I, I don't think you have to. I don't think you have to. And I use Mazai as Jerry as an example. He didn't, he fired the coach of the year. He traded the star. You have to make those. They, okay. Decisions. But they maxed DeMar DeRozan though. Yeah. But they traded him. I mean, I, I think. But it, I, he also I don't wasn't think, a 35% of the cap type of guy. So it's a little I'll bit. I'll tell different. you the, the fit that I like for Kemba. Cause I, if he goes to Boston, I think Boston's kind of in the same situation they were in this year. Like, I just think they're good, but not a great team. The, the math doesn't totally work. I don't think they have enough money to offer him 30-plus, but Kemba on the Lakers, I think, I don't want to say guarantees them the title, but it puts them in the catbird seat. You know, talk about, you don't think so, Kemba, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and you feel like J.J. Redick and Reggie Bullock around them. I think that team is clear favorite. I, yeah, I think you're filling in a lot of the gaps with stuff that you have no idea if they can make happen <laughs> if you sign Kemba, and I think that's the problem. I think the issue is if you get Kemba there, you're probably not looking like here's the thing, Zan. You you wrote this really good stuff, these really good bargain free agent pieces that like everybody can check out on Reddit, like 99 cent free agents. If you sign Kemba Walker, like you're you're like next guy is Damian Lee. Like that's what you have to do. Like 
JJ well, I think I could do it. I, I thank you for the plug. You can follow this on Zan underscore Ellison at Twitter as well. I think you can fill the gaps with like, and the one thing they have, you know, it was criticized at the time, the Reggie Bullock trade. He didn't play that well for them. They do have his rights though. So if they could sign Kemba, then they can, you know, re-sign Bullock for 10 plus million. Um, I think they just need a couple of guys. The reason, I guess the reason I would argue for your point with Kemba is that like, if you have that third star, then, like you said, it seems easier to just play LeBron and Kemba and AD just like 60 to 65 games apiece and just stagger the games they miss and not really end up hurting yourself. So that part, I like it. I, I don't feel I, – I do think – listen, I think Kemba's a great player. I think he's awesome. And it'd be and like I said, I hope he goes somewhere good and people realize how good he is. But I just don't – the Lakers situation, like – I just don't – I don't love it, man. I really don't. I just think he's better as a primary ball handler, and you're the third option on that team. Do you really want to pay Campbell Walker $30 million third option? Remember, Tyler, you're supposed to be the guy behind the player. You're supposed to be pro player, but here you are falling back into slave mentality. We're thinking for the that's, owners. That's getting bleeped. That's getting bleeped. <laughs> owner is not allowed to be said anymore. They're now governors. I know. Oh, you're bleeping owner. Okay. They're yeah. I, owner and slave. Those things, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, I'm as woke as they come. No, but I agree. I don't know if I would pay Kemba Walker 30 plus million for any team really, but I'm thinking for his sake, if he is going to leave Charlotte, it should go to a chase a, a title. And I think LA with those two players, they fit well together. I think that's his best bet. He does fit pretty well with LeBron. The idea that like Kemba's not a good shooter, like Kevin O'Connor wrote the article about it. Like he's been a 41% spot up three point shooter. He just doesn't take a lot of threes because, or a lot of spot up threes because Charlotte's offense stinks. Like, and they didn't have guys to get him the ball. And his stats would go down. I mean, that's the thing you have to realize if you're, if you're Kemba and you go play with LeBron, like you're not going to be an all-star maybe, but you're going to be an 18, 20 point score on a, finals team so i don't i don't love bill simmons you know that like i think everybody who does blogging and does their own podcast they owe some credit of gratitude to to bill but he did make the point that like maybe the lakers are better served getting more of a two-way guy like like miami had with chris bosh and i think that's probably while i think that jimmy butler this will be a good segue into our next guy while i think that jimmy butler would be a very poor personality fit with lebron and anthony davis he's probably the guy i think that they would be better served to be their third option just because i i disagree because I think I would say just to cut you off a second, I and pull my own Bill Simmons. I I think Anthony Davis is shoots threes. He's not a great. He's an average three point shooter. LeBron's an average shooter. I think they need shooting. I think they need another scorer like Kemba Walker. As much as I, you know, um, counterintuitive as that is, Jimmy Butler is not going to help in that. Regard. How how much shooting do they need if they're going to give up 119 points tonight? <sighs> Like you're, talking about, you're talking about a team right now, like obviously they just have five players on, on their roster, but Kuzma, not a good defender. LeBron, not a good defender. Anthony Davis, like supposedly a good defender, but like his <laughs> defense, as we talked about last week, is, is not as good as people think. So somebody's got a guard. And if you add Kemba to that mix, it's like, all right, you have another average to below average defender. It's like, damn, you better score 125 points a game. I just don't, I don't see Jimmy Butler. Jimmy, I think he's, yeah, Jimmy's probably not the guy. But you, you you skipped a step, but let's jump there because it's interesting. CBS only ranks Jimmy Butler as the seventh best free agent. What? Who do they have as five and six? Oh, well, they have Clay. Clay, Clay we've missed. He's do you think he should just resign? He's yeah, going to Golden right. State. I, I think that's, have, to me, that's the biggest thing of the free Because I told you, I thought he was going to LA, and I thought Clay on that team is perfect. Like, that's the no, guy. Totally. I agree. Because he, he clicks now. both those boxes. 
And then they have six. They have Christoph Porzingis, who will probably resign. He's not that. a free agent. He's going. He's staying in Dallas. So. Um, okay. So, but then seven and eight is probably the more most interesting, just in terms of like tough decisions. Is Philadelphia has Jimmy Butler, who's twenty nine. Tobias Harris, who shot really well this year, he's twenty six. Both unrestricted free agents. Both probably looking at twenty plus, if not a max. Where do they go? Where should they go? Interesting question. I had this conversation with a, a kid who's a, a coach in Philly. He's a high school coach, but he's a big Sixers fan yesterday, uh, Monday, excuse me. And he was talking about Jimmy Butler and what do you think the Sixers first call is? Because I do think, you know, maybe a month and a half ago, we were like, ah, Jimmy's walking. Tobias Harris is more important. And then all of a sudden kind of watch Jimmy in the playoffs. If I'm the Sixers, I think what I would want to do is I would want to figure out a way to re-sign Jimmy Butler, max him. I think I would let Tobias Harris walk. If I was Tobias Harris, I would probably want to re-sign with the Sixers because my job will never be easier anywhere else than it is there. I like Tobias Harris a little bit for the Lakers, and I think that that might be a situation where he kind of decides, like, all right, maybe I can get, like, $20 million a year from the Lakers. They can save a little bit extra cash and sign some other guys. And I, But I do think that what will end up happening is I think Tobias will end up going back to Philly. I, don't, I just don't see Jimmy Butler re-signing there, despite the fact that, like, the city loves him. I just don't think he wants to be second banana to Embiid, and I don't think he wants to be caught up in this Embiid-Simmons drama when it finally comes to a head about if he's good enough. He doesn't want to – you know, I just don't see that happening. He doesn't – he's such a weird guy in the sense that, like, competing for a title just doesn't seem to be enough for Jimmy. It feels like it's like he's just every game competing against what the media views him as. So I I don't I, – I, this is such a cop-out. I have no idea what Jimmy Butler is going to do. Like, to me, he's the most, like, interesting case of free agency. I could see him going to Dallas, and they could be good right away, and then I could be like, no, you know what? He doesn't want to play with Chris Stapps and, you know, Luka Doncic. I could see him trying to force a trade to Houston because he's from that area, but I don't know if he wants to play with Harden and Chris Paul. Like, I don't, I don't know what Jimmy Butler's going to do. Philly seems to make the most sense. I don't think he's going to do it, though. So you want the Lakers to have more defenders. Yeah, and instead and I just advocated for Tobias Harris. Tobias yeah. Harris goes there. But the, the, um, problem, the problem is, like, you can't get Chris Middleton. You know what I mean? Like, maybe their Al Horford makes sense. I don't know. But if I'm the Lakers, it's like you need a guy who can generate threes at a high level and who can play a lot of different positions, and you can credibly play Tobias two to four spots, you know? Yeah, I think it's a really tough decision for Philly. I, I agree in the sense that I, if either one of them could stay for the max, they should do it on their own sake. Correct. That, that would be... That would be your advice. Of that, if like you were their agent, that would be your advice. And I agree with that. I agree. And, with that. and to switch gears to the Philadelphia, if you had to pick one, because um, it's so tough. Jimmy Butler's more difficult. He's older, not as good of a shooter. I I trust him a little more, to be honest, than Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is like he shot really well this year for the Clippers. And then, you know, I just looking at his stats right now, he, he shot 43% for the Clippers that went down to 33% for, for Philly. And if he's not shooting well, he's, he's not helpful. He's not a max player. He's not a $20 million player. I think Jimmy Butler is substantially better than Tobias Harris. I think we saw that in the playoffs. Like Jimmy, as much as I criticize Jimmy Butler, like, I mean, he's one of the 12 to 15 players that like, you can just roll the ball out in the playoffs and you can't play him off the court. He can guard really good players. Yeah, I agree. And Tobias Harris to me, like, he has an element of players that I just don't like to pay. Like, he, like a Kyle Kuzma is going to get a big contract because he puts up 
scoring numbers. I just don't think he's anything special. That's like exactly who Jimmy, that's, that's really awesome. That's like exactly who Tobias Harris, if Kuzma's really good, like he's awesome as your fourth option. Cause he's not afraid to take shots. Like he'll talk a little trash, like he'll play a lot of minutes, but at the end of the day, like you pull him off that team and you put like Tobias Harris on Charlotte and you're like, Hey Tobias, you're going to shoot it 21 times a game. Your team sucks. You know what I mean? Like you're exactly right. About that. <laughs> well, and, and that's why like, for Jimmy Butler's sake, I, I think he'll. I think he should, he should probably stay. The money will, doesn't make sense, will but stay? will he stay? I think he wants to go to Houston. That's my gut. I they think he wants to go to they Houston. Can't sign him is the problem. They can't sign him. They don't have cap room. They'd have to somehow, I guess, get rid of Chris Paul or, or maybe trade Capella if to do it. But I think he makes a lot of sense. Like James Harden, we talked about him being our MVP pick. He's just so freaking good offensively that. Almost nothing else matters offensively, you know. And you just need to fill the court with bigger wings who are going to defend. And and Jimmy Butler fits that like a glove. And I think personality wise, he has that like PJ Tucker swagger that James Harden needs. Part of me wonders too. Like we we say this, but everyone sort of thinks like, hey, if the Sixers run it back, like they might win the title. That you know, Kawhi Leonard's shot hits the rim four times, or maybe they win. They beat the Raptors in overtime. Who knows? I wonder if Jimmy Butler feels like, hey, I watched Houston. If I go to Houston, they're closer to winning the title than we are running it back in Philly. I agree with that. I think Jimmy, if Jimmy Butler goes to Houston, they are a serious title threat. <laughs> did, you, did you happen to see my guy Daryl Morey at the NBA Awards talking about how they should be the favorites to win the title next year? I love Daryl Morey because he just stays on brand every minute of every day. Like, it's just great. It's awesome. The Rockets, the social media accounts, like tweeting out how mad they are that James Harden didn't win. It's amazing. He's like a P, he should run his own PR firm. That's what he should <laughs> you, do. You know, it's funny. I, I will say, Daryl Moore, he must be so busy. He's like, you know, he reminds me of, he's like Lex Luthor or something, where it's like, <laughs> why, why does he this, have to be evil? He doesn't have to well, be evil. He, well, he's like this super genius who like keeps getting foiled yeah, <laughs> into like Superman, you know? It's like, oh no! It's like he built this great sixty-five win team, and it's like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. They're just better than you, and they're superheroes. I'm like, oh fuck! And, and they're and somehow for some reason, like he's worked so hard to do this, but like his team has become the unlikable team. You know what well, I mean? Well, it's like, also like he. It was like his culmination. He built the best team he's ever going to build, and it happened to come in a year where the greatest team of all time happened to be assembled. It's like, oh man. Or maybe he's like the Avengers, who like Thanos, I guess, or whatever. No, you're you're right. He's the villain. No, he's Lex Luthor. That's like a perfect way to put it. I'm I'm. That's got to be the podcast title. Let's talk about who else do we have? Al Horford is an interesting one. I mean, I've heard we've heard people are going to offer him a hundred million dollars. That seems way too much money for a guy like that. But a guy that can play thirty three. Yeah, one more contract for him. Good for Al. I think the Lakers make sense for Al Horford. I really do. I also really do feel like a team like Philly should kind of consider Al Horford if they do kind of swing and miss on Harris. But like Houston, the Lakers, those guys make sense. And then, like I said last podcast, Portland. Like, they didn't clear up any salary with that Evan Turner, Cam Bazemore trade. But if you can figure out a way to get a guy like Al Horford who can shore up your defense and who can play big minutes on offense in the playoffs and play, you know, as as a stretch five or as a, a five on the block, like, that's a guy that makes them a lot better. Now, I don't know how they would be able to do it, but that's a team I think if you can clear up some space and you can offer Al Horford $15 million a year and, and open your window for two and a half, three years, I would take a shot if I was Portland. And that's the teams that I'd be looking for if I was Horford. Who's really close, you know? One last – well, say one last thing because these are some guys who I think are going to get potentially $20 million a year. Malcolm Brogdon, um, D'Angelo Russell definitely will. 
Nikola Vucevic, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see his market. Um, He's a super interesting one. What, what do you think about Vooch? Like, can he be a really good player on a good team? I don't know if it's like bias. I don't know if it's like racism. I don't know what it is, but like statistically, he should be an elite player. He's an all-star caliber stat guy. I I wouldn't pay him. I wouldn't pay Russell either. D'Angelo Russell. Phoenix, I, Phoenix or LA probably. Yeah, I don't know. I it scares me that like these guys are putting up stats. I know Orlando made the playoffs this year, but they haven't, you know, he hasn't really moved the needle for them otherwise. I I think he's gonna get if he gets over fifteen million a year, even I don't know if I'd like it. He's gonna get more than that for sure. You know who's gonna you you wanna know who's gonna actually make a ton of money, I think, and people don't realize this? Marcus Morris. I think like I do think Marcus Morris is going to end up with some some contract in the neighborhood of like thirty five to forty million dollars, and people are going to be like, "What the heck happened?" But what's going to end up happening is like if a team has one star and max cap room and they swing and miss, Morris is the guy that does a lot well. He can make a three, he can bang, he can guard fives. Like that's the type of guy. Jonas Valanciunas, like he may make a ton of money as like a guy who can score. You know, it's funny. I just looked up Vucevic's stats. 21 points a game, 12 rebounds a game, four assists a game last year. I mean, no one talks about him as being like a top center. No, he almost made third team all NBA. And that's why it's like, you know, you look at guys like, like DeAndre Jordan, like I would sign Vooch over DeAndre Jordan. But again, it's like, do I want Vucevic at 25 million a year for the next five years and playing him 35 minutes a night? Or do I want DeAndre Jordan at like two years, 18 million? That's what I mean. Like, I I think that the bar is pretty high for, a center to be a difference maker these days, honestly, like I would rather have like Nerland's Noel for $5 million than, than pay Vucevic 20. You know, the other guy that I do think is going to make a lot of money, but Bogdanovich, I think is, yeah, he I making, agree. He was making like 9 million or something last year. Like that's a guy just in terms of his shooting and he can do a little bit more. He kept the Pacers second unit of flow for a little while. Like he's really good. And Thad Young is just going to get paid again. To me, like Thad makes sense on a team. I don't, he's a little old, but I mean, Vucevic is, is I mean, not sorry, Bogdanovich. <laughs> sorry to paint everyone the same brush. Racist. But he's, he's a little interesting because, you know, he was on Washington. We're talking about Bojan. Come on, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't do this. Don't do this. But Washington didn't start him, didn't really play him. Defensively, they thought he was unplayable. Goes to Indiana, shoots 40% from three the last two years. 18 per game this year. I do think he fits a lot of what people are looking for. I think he's going to get 15 million a year. Maybe. I don't know if I would pay it, but he, I don't know. Doesn't he, I think maybe on Indiana, I think Indiana has cap space to burn and they're not going to get anyone else. If if I was Indy, just given what I've done with TJ Warren and then kind of what my team looks like with Oladipo, hopefully coming back healthy. Like I would try to run it back. If I was them, they could win 50 games next year. Yeah, I agree. And, And they're, they're not drawing anyone else. What about the other guys in terms of, do you agree with me? D'Angelo Russell is going to get overpaid. Way overpaid. If you max D'Angelo Russell, you're overpaying him. I, you know, I feel that way. Yeah, and just to, to follow up on this, because D'Angelo Russell is sort of like, you know, you use Kobe Bryant. Like, how good, how good of a fan is somebody if they think Kobe Bryant was like a top five player ever? Like, ca- very casual fans look at D'Angelo Russell and say, "Look, he had 21 points, seven assists. He's 22, 23. That's a max player." Anyone who's is slightly versed in advanced stats would be scared of the guy. Um, his true, this was his greatest year ever, and his 
true shooting percentage was below league average still. So it's just, you're banking on another jump from here to justify the contract. And that's just really risky. Because I think the thing is too, if you invest in D'Angelo Russell, you need to play him like James Harden. He needs to be like Manu, James Harden, like now how kind of how Luca plays where he has the ball all freaking game. And I don't know that he can do that. I don't know that he's a good enough passer. I don't know that his body kind of takes up that level of like pounding as well. And that's why, like, when people are saying Phoenix, like, I don't really get it. You know, like, he's next to Devin Booker. They both stink defensively. Like, they both want to really score. Like, Russell, to me, just never screams a guy that's going to become a distributor, you know? And, and that's where if you're paying him to be your best player, it just doesn't make sense. But I also don't know if you can really pay him a ton to be a second option because I don't know if his skill set shines through as the second option. He's not as malleable as some other guys, you know? Well, I'm also interested to see where Julius Randle ends up because for similar reasons, he had 21 points this year, breakout year, but again, limited defender. I don't really know what position he is. He's more of, to me, he's like an amazing six man scorer. Um, I just don't know how he neatly fits on other teams as a winning player. I do think the, the guys that are going to get over, anybody can shoot. Like Reddick's going to get overpaid even though he's bad in the playoffs. Like Terrence Ross, he made $10 million last year. Like he's getting that again. Seth Curry, we love him as like a bargain. He ain't going to be a bargain. Like somebody's going to pay Seth, Seth Curry like $6 million a year. Like, and that's a lot of money. You know, you're mid-level going all to one guy. Like that matters when you fill out your roster. The other guy I think that is going to get paid, it'll be really interesting to see what the Wizards do. Somebody's going to give Thomas Bryant some sort of like sweet restricted deal. And we're going to have to watch if the Wizards will like match Thomas Bryant for like $11 million a year. Because he was good this year. You know, he was active. He's young. But I just think the, the, the market is shooting. That's what everybody wants. I think we all know this right now. So like Danny Green, it felt like he was out, going to be like out of the league, and he may get a big deal again. Like, do you think Danny Green can get four years, forty million? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, like, maybe, maybe he gets like three years, like twenty-two million or something. Yeah, well, he might even have to take a one year because he's old or whatever. But I, I, I don't mind him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many, like, how desperate teams get because a lot of teams, like, let's say the Knicks, if they don't get Kevin Durant, are they going to be patient? Or are they going to throw $30 million at Tobias Harris just to kind of like save face or D'Angelo Russell or whoever, you know, I think these teams need to, there's going to be a lot of people vying for free agency as the solution to their problems. And not everyone's going to win like that, especially with Kevin Durant getting hurt and Clay Thompson getting hurt. I do think the most important thing, and this is overspend. This is how I would do it, right? Because like I said, we talked about this, and this will be the last thing I say on this, and when we can move on and maybe record right before free agency, maybe next next week. But in 2016, all these teams had cap space and just panicked and gave guys big deals to fill their cap space. If you swing and miss this year, be smart. You know, like give give guys higher, like maybe a yearly AAV. Do not lock yourself into years. That's what you don't want. No, do. that's a great point. Like, because I remember last year, one of the head scratching contracts was. Jabari Parker got 20 million a year, but it was only, it was one year and then a 20 million team option. So like whatever the bulls overpaid Jabari Parker didn't quite work out there. He's off their books. You know, they use that to get Otto Porter. Who's going to end up being a better player for them than Jabari Parker ever would have been. That ended up being a good move for them. Yeah. I could see a lot of more team options for that reason. Just like in terms of like tacking on the, the big team option at the end of a contract, just as a potential trade chip. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think like that's what smarter GMs will do. It'll be very interesting to see how much leverage players have in this. Because like you said, like certain guys, like if you try to give Bojan Bogdanovich like two years, let's say you try to give him three years, 60 million, but you want that last year to be a team option. Maybe he takes three years, 55 million, just getting all that money guaranteed, you know? 
like maybe he has more leverage or, or, than that. But I mean, I think there are going to be guys out there that are going to get overpaid, and I think we're going to be surprised at what those guys are. I think it's going to be your Marcus Morris, your, your Julius Randle types. Right. I just read an article, Julius Randle, Knicks have interest in Julius Randle. That seems very That's Knicks. perfect. That's yeah. exactly the type of thing. He gets 45, two years, like $48 million or yes, something. Perfect. All right. One, one last segment, okay? You love value guys. Give me two guys that you think can sign to contenders that can help swing the title race. Wow. Swing the title race. That's like two, high two, guys, two guys that are going to be very under the radar signings over the well, next. Can I give you my 99 cent guys? Are we, are we allowed to do that? Yeah, give, I mean, I mean, you can't, don't give me the whole list, but give me two guys that well, you're, that's looking. why, like, I, that's why I think we disagree in terms of like the Lakers. Like, let's say the Lakers maxed out with a third star and then have to scrape the bottom of the barrel. I think there's enough competent players out they, there. They don't have cap space. You're giving them cap space. They currently don't have if they sign Kemba Walker. Well, Campbell will have to take a discount because he just read my 99 cent free agent preview and just loved the idea of it. But the guys, I'll just give you the top guys that I really like. I still buy Tyus Jones back up right now in Minnesota. It seems like he's not part of their future. It looks like they're going to go after D'Angelo Russell. He's probably not 99 cents, but he would make sense. If, like for $8 million a year on the Lakers, like that's a really good guy to have as your point guard. Well, and also like if you're Phoenix or something, like I think he's just he just blends in well and he's just a smart player. Um, yeah yeah and you know he's the kind of guy he, he, he you know he's going to cost a third as much as players who are you know 10 percent better than him uh i listed seth curry you know although you think he's gonna get overpaid just because i don't shooting. i think he, i think he's really good i think he's good i just think he's gonna get overpaid you know what i mean like he's just not gonna be his value is not gonna be what it was this year when he was making you know two million a year or whatever right that that's why i listed him because he had been underpaid last year but he's he's 28 though so maybe not um, I still like Reggie Bullock again, not a guy who's going to be cheap, but I think it's still a good value. He's a legit shooter. I think he's like a legitimate 38, 40% shooter. And that fits on most teams. Um, the guy I love, you don't buy him as a, a bargain here. Hold on a second. Real quick, breaking news. Dallas, uh, when free agency opens, they'll be meeting with Chris Epps Porzingis and they are going to offer him five years, $158 million. Scratch him off the list because he ain't turning that down. No. And, and well, that's another interesting storyline, too, is like how much do you trust injury prone guys? That five years. You, you, when you trade for Chris Epps Porzingis, if you're Dallas, you have to do this. You know what I mean? Well, it may and, not work, but you well, don't last, have a choice. I want to give you one last guy, a guy who had made my list two years in a row. Not a good sign for him. But Nerland's Noel, I'm still like, baffled that no one gives him a chance to start he he just must be just an absolutely terrible locker room guy like well can i give you some stats on it because it's really amazing to me are these locker room stats or these basketball stats what do we got because we need both i think he he smoked 20 joints a week that's it Um, that's got to be a good number yeah no but this 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 is almost hard to believe okay so Orleans noel in college you know going back a little bit kentucky two steals, four and a half blocks a game. That is the equivalent stats to what DeAndre Aiden, Marvin Bagley, and Wendell Carter Jr. average combined. They pretty much matched. New Orleans Noel did that on his own. Now, in the NBA, what's he done in the NBA, you say? He's averaged 1.4 steals and 1.4 blocks a game, which, by the way, no other player in the NBA can do. And he's doing, he's doing that in 23 minutes a game. So here's the, the combine that all together. This stat is going to astound you. Per 36 minutes, Round that up. Per 36, Nerlens Noel averages 2.2 steals, 2.2 blocks, 
How many players do you think in NBA history have, could say the same? Hakeem. And it's only been charted since like the 80s. So, you know, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon. How many get two, point, two steals, two blocks a game? Let's just even go down there to make it less cheap. I would, I, would, I would assume one of them is Hakeem Olajuwon. Would be my guess. Well, one is Nerlens Noel. Okay. And there is no second. Nobody He's literally, literally the only player in NBA history who averages two steals and two blocks per 36. Now, my question to you on this astounding stat is, do you have to admit that's pretty crazy? It is. I I think Nerlens Noel is good. And like I said, I think he's the type of guy, like my perfect situation for Nerlens would be like Philly calls him and they're like, listen, we're only going to play Embiid 55 minutes, 55 games. Like we're going to start him late. He's going to alternate games. Come play starters minutes for us in the regular season have a huge role in the playoffs and get yourself a big contract next year. That would be what I sell Nerlens as if I'm Philly. Cause I'm like, this guy will help us defensively. He can roll to the rim. He allows us to play differently when Embiid's not on the floor. But again, like there must be something with Nerlens that we don't know about. Cause that no, guy's absolutely. He's pretty like, if I'm Oklahoma city, why aren't you trying to trade Steven Adams, contract and start and, and sign Nerlens for cheap and then find shooting around them. Like it does. It's not, it's weird. It's really weird. It is very bizarre. And Nurens Noel, that same stat applied last year. That's why he was in the column last year. And he signed for less than $2 million. So he must be the all-time jerk of all-time jerks. But not even, even like an, it feels like coaches in front offices just crush guys. You know what I mean? Because like whether or not Kyrie is a good teammate or not, we know that now Boston was like a ton of leaks to the media about how Kyrie acted and everything. But like Rick Carlisle just hated Nurens Noel. And it feels like the whole league just sides with Rick Carlisle. Well, but it's just weird in a, in a world where I like Jabari Parker. I've always rooted for Jabari, Jabari Parker. In a world where somebody takes a $20 million flyer on Jabari Parker for one year, knowing that it's off their books next year. Like no one gives Nerlens and well, $5 million for one year, you know? It, he can't be that poisonous. And if he is, just cut him. I mean, what's the harm? I have one other question for you. Sorry, we're, we're going a little bit long, but we've, we've failed to mention this guy. And I thought it was because he was restricted for some reason. It's been a long couple of days. Does anyone full max Chris Middleton that's not named the Milwaukee Bucks? Like, do the Lakers try to full max Middleton? I think if they didn't sign Anthony Davis, they might have gotten into it. And But I agree. I think he's just going to stay. I, that's why I wouldn't even mention him. I think he fits there so well. So you don't think money the being the same, obviously, because I think they can offer him an extra year, but everyone else can offer him the same type of like money per year. You just don't think there's any – I mean, somebody will obviously offer him a lot of money. He'll probably take some other meetings, but – Well, Brooklyn's so interesting because they cleared this two spots, and the Kyrie's going to fill one of them. But if they don't get Kevin Durant, like, they're going to have to fill it somehow. Yeah, and it might, and like you said – it, it might it, be like Tobias Harris. It might be – Yeah, because to be honest, I think we know Kyrie's not going – I mean, uh, D'Lo's not going back there knowing Kyrie's coming there. So – they're obviously going to need to fill, you know, they replace some of that scoring. And, and with Middleton, you know, their roster could be pretty good. But, I, again, I don't, I don't see that happening. I agree with you. I'm just curious, like, do the Lakers come in and offer Chris Middleton something? Does, like, do the Clippers offer Chris Middleton a bunch of money with the promise of, like, being the guy? And he's like, you know, oh, maybe I leave and take all this cash. I don't know. Well, the Clippers, like, we can finish on that. Like, talk about an interesting, like, crossroads. Like, because we heard about them getting quiet for so long. If they don't. Like, where is this team? You know, it's just like a mediocre team that's going to finish ninth next year. Um, so as much like praise as they get, 
like they kind of need to hit a home run. They, do. they need they need somebody. And like I said, if, whether that ends up being Jimmy Butler, who I think would be a really interesting fit for Doc Rivers, I think it could go really well or it could go awful, you know? Those guys, I think it make perfect sense. The other thing I will say, I would not rule out a Blake Griffin deal here. It is very clear that the, that the Celtics at this point are – I'm not the Celtics, the Pistons. You know, free agency is going to be wild. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited for it, like you said, but – it's very clear, like with the Pistons, that they are now looking long term, and I, I think it's pretty clear that like Blake Griffin, as great as he is and as tremendous as he was this year, is likely not going to be there if if and when the Pistons are actually good again. So maybe they run it back for another year, but I do wonder like how much value you could get out of trading Blake Griffin as somebody who really needs Blake Griffin. And so if that type of guy becomes available, like the Wizards have kept saying they're not trading Bradley Beal, but if they do. You know, Beal, even though he only has one year left on his deal, becomes an incredibly valuable person in this free agency marketplace. And so I wonder if some teams will look at guys like this and be like, all right, well, maybe we can do this instead of signing a guy, we just absorb cap space. And so they maybe with the Pistons, somebody takes Andre Drummond off their hands or something. They take that Blake Griffin deal and like a pick or like with the Wizards, somebody takes Jan Mahimi's contract back and clears up in more space. And I think that's going to be very interesting to see coming up in the next week or so. Well, you know my big picture approach to free agency is, and it's going to be totally lost on you because you're younger. Um, this is, I just want to show my age. Uh, Chris Rock hosted the Oscars. I just looked up the year, 2005. So you maybe you don't remember this. And it was his like one edgy joke that kind of got some brushback was he was talking about, you know, why make these movies, right? Like, what's the point? Like, he, and his joke was like, if you can't, if you want to get Tom Cruise and you can't, and the only thing you can get is Jude Law. Like, just don't make the movie. Don't make the movie. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, Jude Law, I think, is actually a good actor. So I, I like Jude Law. But the point makes sense. And I think that for, I would treat free agency the same way. Like, if you can't get Kevin Durant, don't settle for Tobias Harris. Like, just don't do it. Just don't spend the money. Or and, make sure you're spending it in a reasonable way. Like, you shouldn't – if you look at your cap sheet in a year or two and Tobias Harris is making the same amount of money as Kevin Durant is, you screwed up. That's just the bottom line. If he's making 66% of what Kevin Durant makes, then maybe you did okay. Right. But that's the nature of the max is that like the, the top, top guys are underpaid under the max and everyone else who kind of rises up to the max level is not worth yep. it usually. So yep. Yep. Um, it's interesting to see how desperate people are. But again, we're, we're talking from the couch. Like if, if you're in the real world in real life and you're, and you, and you need and your you're job, the your, Knicks, you know, your job, if you're Scott Perry, your job is on the line, you know, and that's the right. bottom line. So all right, that's it for us this week. I think, like I said, July 1st, free agency. So maybe we'll record on July 1st or maybe June 30th, June 31st. I don't know. I'd have to do the rhyme in my head. but uh, And we'll talk about some more free agency. I'm sure there will be some big-time rumors coming up over the next couple of days, but we'll be back next week. I am at CYS Tyler on Twitter. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. Follow him. He's got a bunch of free agency content coming out. Including the New Orleans Noel thing. People need to look for that. I'm just excited for you to start the New Orleans Noel fan club. Like, he fired Happy Walters because you didn't get him a contract. He's hiring Xander Gellison. So, you and New Orleans are good to go. But we will be back next week, Zan. It's always a pleasure, buddy. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Xander Gellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 